You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 164, Operating Systems. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is August 10th, 2015, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about my history with operating systems. And speaking of operating systems, I loaded all of my show notes today into a relative file on the Commodore 64. So as I try to retrieve my notes and get those loaded in, that will give us a few minutes to chat during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, first of all, wow, it has been a hectic week uh, for me. Uh, My wife and I have been talking. It's been um, one of my goals for a long time to go back to uh, college and get my master's degree. I I went to community college right out of high school and uh, fluttered around and didn't uh, get the best grades and did not get an associate's degree. Uh, in fact, it took me another 10 years total uh, to go back and finish uh, my associate's degree. I, I often tell people I'm the proud holder of a 10-year, two-year degree. And after that degree, it took me another five years to go back and finish my bachelor's degree. And I, I really can't believe this, but it's been 10 years since then. And I decided, uh, my wife and I were talking about it, that I would like to go back and pursue a master's degree and there the university of oklahoma ou home of the boomer sooners uh, has a degree a master's degree for professional writing and so i'm starting to get my application ready for that but the first part of that was taking and passing the gre test which i didn't know anything about uh and so i signed up for the test with about uh, five days (laughs) i signed up uh, monday morning and signed up to take the test uh, last Friday. So I had about four and a half days, and I went online and found two different books for studying. The first was called Mastering the GRE in 40 Days. And the other one said, Your Complete 12-Week Guide to the GRE. So I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) Uh, I did not have 40 days, nor did I have 12 weeks, but um, basically I gave myself the cram course study for the GRE. I found some online uh, flashcards for the vocabulary sections. Basically what this test is is uh, pretty much everything you were supposed to have learned and retained in high school uh, and probably college too. I would say the vocabulary and the reading uh, was more college level and the math sections uh, were – Probably everything that you were supposed to do if you took high school algebra, algebra two, and geometry, those sorts of things. So lots of word um, questions, like math word puzzles, if you like those. I do not like those. Um, you know, uh, you know, a cube has this, this uh, dimensions, and a cylinder has this dimensions. Which can hold more? Well, 
you're going to need to know some formulas to do that. And I didn't remember any of those formulas, so I spent uh, four days cramming for that, learning every math formula I could find. Um, you know, all those things that we learned. And if you took uh, algebra, like I said, in high school, uh, you know, when you multiply the power of this, you add these, but if you divide by a negative fraction, this is how you convert it to a, a decimal and so on and so forth. And man, did I, uh, it was like, I, I, I was joking to somebody. I said, it's like, um, Billy Madison, like that stupid Adam Sandler movie. Uh, but instead of going back, you know, and having two weeks per grade, it was four days to do all of uh, high school math all over again. But the good news is, uh, all that cramming paid off and I did pass my GRE test. And that is the first step. Uh, once you've passed that and submitted your scores, to the college, you can proceed with your application. So that's exactly what I plan on doing. I have people ask me all the time, how do I do all the things that I do? You know, how do I find the time? And uh, the answer is I don't always, you know, uh, you know, if I do this, I have to skip out on that. If I podcast tonight, I can't, you know, go eat with the family. Or if I do this, you know, if I decide I wanted to read, then I can't, you know, do a blog post or whatever. So it's, it's constantly juggling things. And so, uh, this, this program won't start for, you know, a few months, but, uh, I will have to reevaluate what I'm spending time on, but I, I do enjoy podcasting and I do, uh, foresee me continuing to do it, uh, for many years to come. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about the shows. Uh, let's see what else have I been? Oh, you know what? I've been following an interesting fellow. Uh, there's a great page on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you should go check it out. It's called the classic text adventures, uh, page. And it's run by a guy, I believe his name is David. Um, and he, he actually used to do a text adventure podcast. Um, but this guy, uh, I think a lot of his text adventures are done in, uh, Q basic and he, he has an engine that he uses and, and, but this guy cranks out and, and these are not, um, you know, the, the old school term for these were text adventures. And the new term is interactive fiction, which is more like, you know, the actual type of writing you would see in a book and, and more advanced, uh, engines and so on. And these are definitely text adventures. I mean, these are the old school, uh, you know, brute force, get through them and they're not long. You know, I, 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 uh, played a couple of them. They only took, you know, five or 10 minutes to go through. And then he releases another one a few days later or the next week. So, um, lots of, lots of good stuff on there. So if you like those type of, uh, old school text adventures or just talking about them, uh, go check out, uh, classic text adventures on Facebook. Uh, what else have I been in? Oh, you know what? Uh, the last episode was about Best Buy. I talked all about Best Buy. And um, this kind of comes uh, full circle, and this will lead us into uh, today's episode. But uh, uh, I needed some computer parts. And so I thought, you know what? I, just, I had Best Buy on the brain. And, and um, in central Oklahoma, there's just not that many computer stores anymore. There's the big box places, you know, but that's it. So I went to Best Buy, and man... You know, I mean, I know it goes without saying, and and I shouldn't have even been surprised, but uh, I couldn't find anything I wanted. They didn't even have uh, computer power supplies when I was there, and, and I was looking for an adapter, uh, like a power adapter to go from a power supply to a um, PCIe video card. They didn't have the adapter, you know, and a lot of these places like Staples, I looked at Staples and Office Depot and stuff, and they have it on their website, but they don't have it in the store when you go in. And Best Buy was the same way. They do have the adapter on their website, but they didn't have it in the store. And I was just really, uh, it's that same, same disappointment that I get 
when I go into Radio Shack and just from somebody that grew up going to Radio Shack, going and getting little, you know, bits of wire and connectors and things like that and seeing, you know, now just that it's a, uh, you know, a cell phone and remote control toy store basically is what it is. It's just, um, I don't know, a little sad compared to what it used to be. So uh, anyway, if you uh, have feedback about this episode or any other episode or the show in general, you can always uh, send your feedback to Rob O'Hara at robohara.com or leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voice mailbox, which is 405-486-YDKF. That sound tells me that my notes are all loaded up from my trusty Commodore 64, so let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode Operating systems. Now, the first operating system that I was probably exposed to was on that TRS-80, and I've I've told that story on this podcast a few times now. That the first computer that we owned was a TRS-80 Model Three that my dad bought. Uh, he was on the waiting list for and purchased. Brought that home uh, in the spring of 1980, and the TRS. 80 computer came with TRS DOS, and that was actually the manual tells you to pronounce that as Tris DOS. Now, that's the operating system that would have been used to access disk drives, but there's one problem with that we didn't have disk drives, we had a cassette tape adapter, uh, and so we had to use uh, the C load and C save commands uh, to save and load data onto the cassette drive. So, even though I would have probably seen uh, Tristos, I don't think that I ever really used any of its features. And the same kind of goes for Apple DOS. Uh, that would, that would have been, um, the, uh, the bootable disc that came with the Apple II. Um, I, I do remember booting up, I guess, just so I could get to a command prompt and, you know, maybe copy files or, or load, uh, you know, games, but I didn't really get into the operating system itself. Uh, and a lot of the games that we had on the Apple II were self-booting. So you just, you know, would put the disc in, turn the computer on, and it would boot the game up. So there, there wasn't a lot of reason. And, of course, I was still pretty young back then, but there wasn't really uh, much of a reason to – there wasn't any need to be exposed to Apple DOS, not at, not at that time and for what I was doing. But uh, my first real exposure with operating systems, like a lot of people – came through MS-DOS. Now, if you've seen, um, if you've seen Triumph of the Nerds, if you haven't seen that, you should definitely go see that. Uh, I don't, I think it may even be on Netflix. I'm, and for a long time it was on YouTube, uh, but it tells the story of basically the home computer revolution. And, and there is a, a great, uh, segment on the evolution of DOS. So a lot of people probably know that when IBM uh, was going to release their personal computer, they needed an operating system. Uh, and so they had turned, uh, well, they turned to someone else uh, first who wasn't able to meet their need. And so finally they went to Microsoft and Microsoft said, we will get you uh, a version of DOS. And so they bought uh, a DOS uh, disk operating system, DOS, from someone else. I believe it was called 86DOS. Uh, and then they modified it so that it would work with uh, the IBM PC. And so that version of DOS became known as MS-DOS for Microsoft DOS. And uh, <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history in that story, right? Uh, so I uh, started with the PC Junior, I believe, was the first PC we had. And it came with DOS uh, 2.1. 
And so that would have been the first time. I know that our junior did not have a hard drive, but we did have dual floppies. So you could load, uh, you would put DOS in the, the first drive and boot up into DOS. And then uh, you would do all your work on uh, uh, floppies that were in the B drive. And of course, if you were going to copy or, or do things like that, you know, those are actual disk commands. We're so used to those being, uh, you know, on our hard drive. But back then it would have had to access that floppy uh, that remained in, in drive A to load, you know, copy.com or whatever. So uh, having uh, two disk drives very early on was, uh, was pretty important. I'm not going to run through every detail of every version of MS-DOS, but I'm going to run through kind of the highlights here. And I got this, uh, I believe this was came uh, right off the Wikipedia page. Um, uh, it says MS-DOS 1, uh, that was uh, the version that was first released for the IBM PC. Uh, 2.x added support for 10 meg hard drives and tree structure filing system, which I assume that means folders within folders. Um, so that's, that's what you got, uh, <laughs> with MS-DOS 2.x, uh, for three, let's see, 3.0 added support for fat 16. Uh, it was the first version to support five and a quarter inch 1.2 meg floppy drives and diskettes. So I guess before that would have been, uh, just the 360, I guess is what they were before that. Uh, version 3.1 of DOS added support for Microsoft Networks. That must have been really uh, rudimentary. 3.11 added support for 3.5-inch 720K floppy disks. <laughs> and 3.3 added uh, support for 1.4 meg, 3.5-inch disks. And 3.3 was the one I remember having for a long time. I remember we had 3.3 uh, for years. Um, let's see, I'm just kind of scrolling through, uh, the list here. Version four was the first version to support a hard drive, uh, hard drive partition that was greater than 32 megs. Uh, and, uh, let's see what else here. 4.1. Okay. So some of these split off where MS DOS kind of split off to PC DOS and, and, um, there was definitely a fork five, uh, was, was pretty significant. MS-DOS 5 was the first one that included a full-screen editor. If you've ever been in a DOS prompt and typed edit and that came up, that started with MS-DOS 5. Before that, we had Edlin. And if you've never used Edlin, oh, boy, are you lucky. <laughs> I remember trying to create batch files with Edlin. You had to edit. Edlin you know, was edit a line at a time, so it was very difficult uh, and frustrating to use, at least for me. Uh, and so Microsoft edit to be able to move around with the arrow keys was a, just a huge advance, uh, at being able to, uh, uh, edit, you know, text files. Uh, five also added the support of hard drive partitions greater than 32 meg. And it says it supported up to two gig, which would have been uh, crazy drive space back then. Uh, and then some of the other versions, let's see, 5.0.5. Well, that's the version that shipped with uh, Windows NT. And then we have 6. And 6 is the first one that added help files with QBasic, which I remember using that quite a bit. Um, it also added disk compression. And if you remember, that was a big thing back at the time. If you remember double space. Remember, uh, uh, double space was a thing you could run and it would compress all the files. So it would tell you that you could double the space of your hard drive. 
uh, and then it would slow everything way down because it was constantly uncompressing <laughs> files. Um, it's 6.2 uh, is when they added ScanDisk. Golly, um, this is just like <laughs> running down memory rain here. Uh, oh, and then I remember this. Yeah, in 6.2.1, they took double space away because they got sued by Stacker, which was a much better program anyway. Um, so they removed double space. And then in uh, DOS 6.2.2, they added drive space and 622 was the standard. That's what everybody had forever. Um, I, I remember having three, three, five and 622. Those were the big versions that I remember, uh, mostly using. Uh, then there were some later versions. There's MS DOS seven, which is, uh, the version that came with windows 95. Uh, that actually added support for long file names, um, let's see. Uh, it was the last version to recognize only the first 8.4 gig of a hard disk. Um, version seven, one is what shipped with, uh, windows 95 B and windows 98 S E. And that supported 32 fat 32, uh, file system. Wow. Uh, all right. And so on and so forth, but you get the idea here, but it was like each version, you know, all these things that we take for granted were being slowly added, uh, one at a time. And, uh, again, to use all these things, you either had to install them on a hard drive, or if you didn't have a hard drive, which was the case for a lot of people, including us in the early days, you had to leave that DOS disc, uh, planted in drive a so that you could use, uh, those DOS commands. I remember doing a lot with batch files. Um, there was a, a choice command, which allows you, and I, I've actually written little menu systems uh, that use the choice command where it'll load up and you can say, you know, do you want to load program A, B, or C? And then you use a, a choice and, and a forward slash some switches and put uh, the letters that you'll accept in there. And so you could create uh, some pretty nifty little menu systems with that. But I definitely remember doing uh, lots of little batch files and stuff. Also, if if this predates you, and I suspect that it will for some listeners, uh, this was the era of editing your config sys and your auto exec bat, which, gosh, I, I guess the best comparison to that would be like, you know, working on your own car, you know, working on the engine and tuning things, uh, you know, editing those things were always uh, a constant process of of juggling things and and um, trying to get more free memory and different types of memory and and uh, you would even have you might have multiple configurations so when you booted your machine uh, you know it would say do you want you know extended memory or high memory or expanded memory and depending on you know the particular game or whatever it was you were about to play you might have different configurations so it was a a definite art and it was something that um, uh, it's funny because back then everybody could do it. Everybody who was a PC user knew how to edit their config sys and auto exec. And now, I mean, I bet it's not one out of a hundred, maybe one out of a thousand. Uh, I mean, of course it's really not used anymore, but, um, you know, that, that's something that just kind of came and went. People don't uh, need to do that anymore. I spent so much time in DOS I've tried to explain this, people, but uh, even today, even today when I'm doing things on the computer, I think in DOS. Whenever I think about, um, you know, creating folders or where I'm going to put things or whatever, I think about it um, 
you know, how I would access those things from a command prompt and not, um, I don't like just putting a folder on my desktop or putting a folder somewhere in windows. I want to know where it actually is, you know, when I'm looking, uh, from the root of my hard drive, you know, from a, a command prompt standpoint. And so that's, um, something that, and, and that might be, uh, almost a detriment at times, you know, because, um, you know, I, I still don't like creating, and this this goes back to the days when when MS DOS wouldn't do this. But I don't like creating folders that have spaces in them. <laughs> I will still use uh, underscores, and I will still use uh, uh, dashes and things like that, or no space at all, um, just because that is the you know naming convention that I grew up with, uh, and that I'm I'm more comfortable with. So. Uh, but we had DOS for a long time, and we loved it. I love those days. I love DOS commands. I love moving around in DOS, and and uh, I, you know, I used to tell people I can do things faster in DOS than other people could do them in Windows, just because we were all so used to doing that. And then came Windows 3.1, which was released in April of 1992. Um, here's some of the highlights that you got with Windows 3.1. Uh, now, there were previous versions of Windows. There was Windows 1 and Windows 2. I don't personally know anybody who used those. The first version of Windows, you know, it seemed like nobody used Windows, and all of a sudden everybody was using Windows 3.1. Uh, it just kind of exploded at that point. Um, it dropped real mode support, they say, and it required a minimum of a 286 PC with 1 meg of RAM to run, which... Um, wouldn't have been a terribly, uh, you know, I mean, most computers, uh, you, you hear the, you remember the old quote, uh, with Bill Gates, no machine would need more than uh 640 K, you know, but, uh, you know, if you had four 256, uh, Sims, then, you know, you would have had a mega Ram. So I don't think the memory would have been a big cutoff and, and two eighty sixes were obviously, uh, pretty prevalent by, uh, by 1992. Windows 3.1 is the first version of Windows to support true type fonts. <laughs> Uh, and it came with Arial, Courier, uh, Times New Roman, and Symbol. And you could do all of those in regular, bold, italic, and bold italic. Uh, Windows 3.1 is the first version of Windows that supported dropping and dragging icons. So that was a big uh, step forward, I suppose. Uh, let's see what else here. Um, Windows 3.1 was available in 720K, 1.2 meg, and 1.4 meg floppy disks. Uh, it says that it was the first version to be distributed on CD-ROM, although in 1992, I guess uh, people had CD-ROMs. I mean, I, I think of those as being more uh, mainstream, you know, probably in... Uh, Oh, 94, 95, but, uh, but there were definitely some people that, uh, were early adopters. Um, let's see here. Windows 3.1, uh, is the first version of Windows to have a Windows registry. <laughs> and if you've ever, uh, had to <clears throat> hack, you know, something in a batch file with a reg edit, uh, and, and go figure out what the uh, H key location is uh, to make a change on the registry. That goes all the way back uh, to Windows 3.1. Uh, 
And then it also says Windows 3.1 is the first version of Windows that could also launch Windows programs via command.com while running Windows. So in other words, being able to type a program name, uh, like the start run and then a, a name, you know, you type a name in like calculator or calc and having that launch that, that started, uh, with Windows 3.1. The biggest thing for Windows, well, I, I didn't really run Windows 3.1. I ran, uh, Windows for work groups. 311. So uh, there was 3.1 and then 3.1.1 and then came Windows for Workgroups, which the difference was it supported uh, basic networking. Um, 3.1.1, I believe, just had bug fixes for 3.1. But then, like I said, there was uh, Windows for Workgroups. Uh, that was released in October of 92. Uh, it says that it's a extended version of 3.1 and features Native networking support, it comes with SMB file sharing, which we are still trying to get rid of today uh, with NetBIOS <laughs> and or IPX network transport protocols, which is true. We used IPX back in the Novell days uh, and uh, some people, it's definitely not uh, uh, as streamlined and as robust as TCP IP. But uh, for, for what it had to do at the time, it certainly worked pretty good. Oh, and Windows for Workgroups is the first version to include Hearts, the card game, uh, which would have made my grandmother very happy. Um, Windows for Workgroups uh, 3.11. Let's see. Oh, oh, you know what? I'm, this is um, Windows for Workgroups. Th- that was for 3.1. 3.11 was released the next year in 93. Um, it supported 32-bit file access, wow, and required a 386. Well, that was really uh, stepping things up. Um, so this was the first version of Windows that I really ran on a regular basis was Windows for Workgroups uh, 3.1.1. Now, I had spent two years in college uh, mostly using Macintoshes. We did PageMaker and... Um, Gosh, what else did we do? Mostly PageMaker and, and, you know, for the newspaper and for the yearbook and stuff. We did it on a Mac uh, Classics. I believe they were SEs. Um, and I didn't even have my own PC at that time. So when I finally did uh, get a PC, and that would have been, mm, uh, I got my 386. It was a DX240. And I got that uh, in the fall of 1994. So that would have been the machine that I first set up uh, and put Windows for Work Groups 311 on it. Now, uh, <laughs> this is a funny story, uh, but we had a computer at the time when I was going to school, I was working at Long John Silver's, and we had a computer in the back that would uh, dial up and, and you know use a modem and send in our nightly uh, you know, sales receipts and it would upload it to, you know, wherever the long John Silver's home office was. Well, we had this little uh, packet that was by the computer and it was like the recovery thing, you know, in case anything went wrong. And I was looking through there one day and there were the floppy disks to install windows for work groups, three, one, one. And I really wanted windows on my home machine. So I took those disks and uh, I took them home and made copies of them. And uh, so that's where I got Windows for Workgroups uh, 311. And uh, when, every time my machine booted up, it had the Microsoft Windows logo. And then uh, underneath that, it said uh, uh, Long John Silvers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, every time uh, for however long I ran that, I it had Long John Silvers on my machine when it booted up. Now, uh, I started working for the FAA. 
Uh, I was still running three uh, Windows 311 at the time. Uh, and I talk about this more on episode 149. Um, but uh, when I got that job, it was uh, all about networks. And I didn't really know that much about networking. So that's when I got a second machine. And uh, they were both running Windows for Workgroups 311. And I got a crossover cable, hooked them up. And that's, you know, basically the first time that I uh, experienced networking. Uh, so that that's kind of where I learned that. And really the biggest thing for me for Windows 311 uh, is that it allowed you to multitask. I mean, that was the selling point was uh, when you had a DOS machine, if you were playing a game, that was the only thing you could do. But when you had Windows for Workgroups, you could uh, have two DOS windows. <laughs> so you could modem uh, in one DOS window, uh, you know, while you had a game going on the other window or, or something going on in Windows or, you know, you could format a disk and do something else at the same time, which was pretty revolutionary. I know now it doesn't seem that way, but uh, uh, that that was the biggest thing, uh, you know, for uh, running Windows 3 for me was just the ability to do two things at the same time. Now, uh, Windows 95 uh, came around a little while. Uh, let's see. I think that was in uh, the August. I think it was in the summer or fall of 1995. I actually intended a Windows 95 launch party. It was a Microsoft thing, and I went downtown uh, through uh, work at the time. And I went down there, and they uh, – oh, they had these uh, – like they would ask you questions about Windows 95. I think I want a hat – and I think I want a free copy of Windows 95. Um, but uh, I had this super tall tower. You know, everybody now, everything's about being small now. You know, everybody wants a super thin laptop and a thin iPad and all these things. But there was a time where the bigger your computer case was, the cooler you were. And I had this, like, a full-size server tower. It had enough room for four or six drive bays plus, you know, a couple of floppy drives. And, and uh, I mean, it was... God, I don't know. This thing was three, three foot tall, maybe taller. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe three foot tall, and uh, it was a four eighty six DX four one hundred with thirty two megs of RAM. That machine, I love that machine so much. That thing just screamed. Um, and and think about this: thirty two megs of RAM uh, on the Best Buy episode. I was just telling you that uh, four meg. Let's see, no sixteen meg chips. Uh, we had those there and they were about $300. Um, so, I mean, you, you, to give 32 megs of RAM, it was definitely some financial investment, uh, in this machine. And it had that gig hard drive, uh, that I talked about on the Best Buy episode that, uh, we got in for a thousand dollars, but I got it, you know, with my employee discount, but man, this machine was fast. And, um, so when I got windows 95, uh, from that, that, uh, Microsoft thing, I was like, I'm, I'm running that, you know? And so I installed windows 95 and rebooted and comes up to windows. And I was like, well, what happened to DOS? <laughs> because, you know, windows three really just ran on top of DOS. It was a, a GUI that, you know, you loaded after DOS loaded. Now, some people, most people put it in their auto exec. So it would, you know, your machine would boot, it would boot into DOS and then automatically launch Windows. But you didn't have to do that. And I don't think I did, you know, because a lot of the stuff I did ran better in DOS at the time. Uh, so Windows 3.1, you know, was if I needed the features of Windows, I would launch Windows. And if I didn't, I would exit. 
but Windows 95, you didn't have that option. You know, it was just like, oh, you just booted into Windows. And I remember the first time I got Windows 95, the first thing I did was took the shortcut uh, for the command prompt and dropped it into the start folder. So when my machine booted up, it would boot into Windows 95 and then launch a command prompt because that was the only way that I knew how to do stuff. I mean, that was, you know, what I was most uh, comfortable with. And in fact, um, a lot of people, that's when uh, uh, you started seeing people setting up dual booting. So you would, uh, you know, boot up your machine. And, and I talked about this uh, a couple minutes ago. You know, if you had different memory configurations for, your, for uh, you know, different things you needed to do in DOS, well, this was like that, but you would boot up and you would say, hey, you know, press 1 to go to DOS or press 2 to go to Windows 95. And then based on whichever one, and, and you could do an automated countdown like, you know, uh, in 15 seconds I'm going to Windows 95 or whatever. I'm sure mine was in 15 seconds I'm going to DOS. <laughs> I don't want that uh, Windows 95 stuff. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – dual booting was was pretty big that time because there was a lot of things that just wouldn't run uh, – in uh in the dos window you know in fact uh at work uh and this was uh years later but at work we had um uh a pretty big uh memory intense program that was written in paradox 3.5 which was a dos uh based database and uh if you ran it through the dos prompt in windows 95 it would eventually crash it would run out of memory so the icon that we put on people's desktops at the time would literally reboot their machine. It would copy over a different auto exec and config sys. Uh, and then when they rebooted, it would go into DOS and launch, you know, this, this paradox program. And when they were done uh, and that would relaunch, it would copy the other ones back over and it would boot back into windows 95. So you had to do some crazy stuff back then. Um, skipping ahead a little bit here, there was 98 and 99 and that was kind of when, it, uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird because uh, I was running Windows 98. Like I've got Windows 98 at home and at work, we were still at that point just moving from 3.1 to Windows 95. In fact, um, they required us to take a three-day training course. I think it was union mandated uh, that we had to be trained to use Windows 95. And I was still using or already using Windows 98. So it was just basically frustrating for me, like, why do I have to go do this? You know? And so I would sit in class and draw these big space, like star Wars space battles in MS paint. And the teacher, you know, the the guy that was leading the course, he came by one time. He's like, are you doing the exercises? And I'm like, man, I got five machines networked at home. I'm running windows 98. You know, I got 32 megs of Ram at home. And the guy was like, all right. So he just left me alone. So I just had to sit there and, and kill time for three days. Um, but, uh, after that, you know, we started, like we sent teams of people to go travel. Like I traveled. I remember I went to Boise, Idaho. I went to Cheyenne, Wyoming. I went to Denver, uh, to go help these other offices upgrade from windows three, one to windows 95. And then you had to hang around for a couple of days because uh, it was so different, you know, that people would, Oh, I don't know how to, what a, what's a double click? Well, <laughs> that's a dumb example because you had double click uh, in Windows 3. But people were, you know, legitimately confused about how to use Windows 95. So that that was just kind of a weird, weird time. Now, I was doing at work, I was doing all desk side support at that time, all client stuff. And I went down to the server room one time to go see somebody and I saw this screensaver and it said, press control, alt, delete to log in. And I started laughing. I thought that was the funniest thing. And they were like, 
Why is that so funny? And it was funny because up until then, Control-Delete would have just rebooted your computer. You know, in DOS, if you hit Control-Delete, your machine's going to reboot. And so uh, I thought that it was like, you know, somebody playing a joke, like press Control-Delete to log in. When you do that, it's going to reboot your machine. I don't know if you ever um, – <laughs> you know, the shortcut to close applications on Windows is Alt F4. And so, uh, you know, we would get on IRC, the chat, and people would, you know, come in. They're like, that's my first day. And, you know, you have all these noobs on there. And they're like, how do I change the colors? And you're like, oh, press Alt F4. And then they would do it and say, like, you know, so-and-so has quit the channel. We'd all laugh. <laughs> so if you could ever get people to hit Alt F4, that was a funny, funny joke, you know. Uh, and so I thought that was the same type of thing that it was control delete, but, uh, you know, that somebody was being funny, but it turns out that was how you logged into windows NT. And that was the first time I ever saw windows NT. Um, and sometimes operating systems, especially, uh, windows just give you a feeling like you just get this feeling, you know, like, um, NT just felt like a tank, you know, like it was slow and rough around the edges like you know you, you could get cut <laughs> some of the edges are sharp but it just you know was solid you know that that was my impression of uh windows nt and then um uh you know there was kind of a split because you had uh windows 95 and windows 98 and then the successor to that was windows me and the successor on the other side of windows nt you know you had 35 or 351 uh, four, and then you had Windows 2000. Man, I liked Windows 2000. It was NT-based, so sometimes you had driver issues with video cards and stuff like that, but Windows 2000, man, I, other than, uh, you know, the most recent stuff that's been out there, Windows 2000, uh, that was one of my favorite versions of Windows. It just felt solid and it felt good, you know, or Windows ME, I can't even come up with a good, Windows ME is like, you know, you get some car that maybe is flooded out and somebody like tried to fix it up and put new paint on it and stuff, but it just doesn't run right. That's what Windows uh, ME always felt. Uh, it just never felt good. And I never ran Windows ME at home. I ran Windows 2000. Uh, and both of those came out in 2000. Uh, but the problem with Windows ME uh, was that it, they got rid of the true DOS mode, and there was a lot of games that was, suddenly wouldn't work with Windows ME. Um, it, it was also just like super unstable, you know. I, a lot of the old jokes about Windows blue screening and having to reboot it all the time, I think a lot of that comes from Windows ME. And Windows has been pretty stable for a long time, but I think people that first got their experience with ME, that's, that's their memories, unfortunately, of... Uh, uh, windows. I found on uh, Wikipedia an article from PC World talking about Windows ME that called it the mistake edition. They placed it fourth in their worst tech products of all time article. And after ME appeared, they wrote in this article, quote, users reported problems installing it, getting it to run, getting it to work with other hardware or software and getting it to stop running, unquote. So Windows ME was definitely not uh, <laughs> not very popular. But the good thing about both of those versions, uh, Windows 2000 ME or and uh, uh, ME, excuse me, were uh, they were the first OSs to support USB 2.0. Now there, you could get some 
uh, USB supported Windows 98, but uh, I think you maybe it was only for USB 1 or you had to add it on or something, but these natively supported USB 2.0. My first MAME machine uh, that I ever built ran Windows 2000, and that thing was a hoss, man. I love that box. Uh, so Microsoft had a problem. Uh, ME was terrible. People hated it. And 2000, uh, was just a little bit too stiff, I think for home users. And so they kind of combined things, uh, and released windows XP that came out in October, 2001. Uh, and that just felt like, um, a good mixture to me. Uh, windows XP, um, we still have a few machines that work that run XP. And I think, um, XP is like where everything just kind of felt like it's where it's supposed to be for the first time, you know. Uh, Windows 2000, probably for me, but XP for sure. Um, the only problem with, uh, well, no, I guess it wasn't uh, XP. XP had the uh, compatibility mode, so you could run a lot of the things that you couldn't even get to run in ME uh, and that uh, you might have had trouble getting run to Windows 2000. Uh, but XP, you know, you could run all the new stuff and you could get uh, a lot of the old stuff running. So, uh, man, XP, my, uh, I have a, actually my arcade machine that I have downstairs runs windows XP. Um, and I don't care that it's not getting patched anymore because it's not connected to anything. It's just a standalone machine. Uh, and it'll probably run forever. Uh, XP came out in October of 2001 Vista came out in January of 2007 Vista. And this goes, um, a lot of people say Microsoft, it's kind of like Star Trek movies. There's a good one, a bad one, a good one, a bad one. Uh, and so, you know, you had ME, which is bad XP, which was good. Then you have Vista, which was bad. Um, and one of the big problems with uh, Vista that continued, uh, with windows seven, and this is an, uh, inherent problem of it, but most, you know, XP was 32 bit. And most people, you know, there was a change in the hardware, of course, at the same time. Uh, but a lot of people that moved to, to Vista and then later to Windows 7 installed uh, 64-bit operating systems for the first time, uh, which broke all those old 16-bit apps. You could Pretty much you can run one uh, generation behind as far as bits are concerned. So, you know, on a 32-bit OS, you can still run 16-bit apps. So on a 64-bit operating system, you can run 32-bit apps, but you can't run... 16-bit apps, which all these old DOS applications were, all these old native Windows applications were, and um, uh, so they broke a lot of things. This was, uh, you know, kind of whenever people started moving to DOSBox, and that's when DOSBox came out was, uh, you know, it was a solution to be able to run this old software. I never personally ran Windows Vista. Now, I used it. Um, I had to use it... Uh, uh, yeah, we used it a little bit at work, but more than that, I saw it from uh, friends and family members that bought computers that had Vista on it. Um, I bought a netbook that came with Vista, and the day I got it, I formatted it and put XP on it. And then uh, when Windows 7 came out, I put Windows 7 on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Vista was just such a piece of crap. I don't know. It was just bloated. It just That's what it feels like to me. It's just like... Like moving underwater <laughs> is what Vista feels like to me. Uh, in 2009, though, uh, Microsoft released Windows 7, and that was we're back on the track for the good operating system. You know, it just Windows 7 feels like home. It feels like everything's in the the right place. You know, and and um, everything just kind of works like it's supposed to. And and I've been running Windows 7 for so long. Um, 
that I didn't personally upgrade to Windows 8. Now, um, Windows 8 came out in October of 2012, and if we're talking about that pendulum swing, we're kind of back over uh, where things kind of go uh, astray again for Microsoft. Um, I uh, Last year, maybe it's been a year and a half uh, now, I went to a, a server boot camp, a Windows Server 2012 boot camp, uh, where I did my MCSE, and you have to pass all these tests. Um, and to do that, uh, we, we set up windows 2012 servers and, and banged on them and loaded them and reloaded them and configured them. But the clients that we used for that class were windows eight. And that was the first time I had used windows eight and my goodness, I couldn't find anything, you know, and this is things that I've been doing for 10 or 15 years now. They said, go to control panel. And I'm like, I can't find it. I don't know. And they're like, Oh, we'll just move your mouse and this slides out and these are pretty tiles. And I was like, that's dumb. Like I don't, I mean, if I had a touch tablet or touch screen or something, I would get it, but I didn't, you know, I'm waving the mouse around. And I remember like having to ask somebody like, how do I reboot this thing? Like I can't even find the power, uh, or, you know, or, or the reboot. And, and, um, it's just very frustrating experience. And it, it, it's kind of humbling too. Uh, when people, you know, like your your parents or, or uh, people you work with, older people or something, and they say, well, how do I do this in Windows? And you're like, oh, well, just do this, this, this guy. You don't know that? Uh, and then to be put in that in that position uh, with Windows 8 where I suddenly, you know, I mean, I'm a guy that's, you know, been doing this networking and, and computers and stuff my whole life. And all of a sudden I can't do that, you know. So it gives just a little taste and it's a little bitter uh, of uh, what that feels like. Um so anyway, at home, uh, I, I had one laptop that I purchased that came with Windows 8, and I installed something called Classic Shell, uh, which makes your Windows 8 machine look like Windows 7. It adds a start button and it does some other things. Uh, and so that was the only way I could use Windows 8 because I just couldn't get around in anything. Uh, but all that has changed over the last week or so with the release of Windows 10. Now, as you know, um, may or may not know, but Windows 10, uh, Microsoft is offering as a free upgrade uh, if you have Windows 7 or newer. So if you have Windows 7 or 8 or 8.1, you can sign up and download Windows 10 for free. I've put it on three machines so far. I put it on my uh, uh, laptop, you know, that I use just for writing and stuff. I put it on this laptop. So this episode is being recorded on Windows 10. And I also upgraded my main workstation. And uh, I've had little hiccups here and there. And there's definitely some, uh, uh, you know, I won't say security concerns, but security issues that people have, different settings. Um, I think it's a bigger leap for someone like me that didn't use Windows 8 very much. So it seems like a, a bigger change from uh, you know, seven to 10 versus probably eight from 10. Like I had some hardware that doesn't work with windows 10, but it didn't, wouldn't have worked with windows eight either. So I'm just now finding that stuff out for the first time. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, windows seven came out in 2009. So I've been running windows seven for six years, but man, does windows 10 feel good. It doesn't feel good on day one. Uh, because I think you're getting a lot of patches from Microsoft, and I think Microsoft's still tweaking things. Um, and, you know, for end users, I don't recommend that people upgrade on day one or day two or day 10, you know, wait it out uh, until things are streamlined. But, of course, I'm a, a tech guy and an early adopter guy, and so, you know, I right off the bat, I went with uh, Windows 10. So uh, I think... 
all of my windows machines in the house are now running windows 10. Uh, and so, like I said, there's, there's some tweaking, you know, that you have to do and, um, still learning stuff, but, uh, uh, overall, I, I really do like it. I think their, um, I think their legacy uh, is has repeated again. Uh, if you didn't like Windows eight, uh, then I think Windows ten is is swinging the pendulum back over again. Now I know I, I've talked an awful lot about Microsoft operating systems, and and you may be wondering if I've had exposure to to other operating systems, and I have a little bit. Uh, I messed around with. Uh, Linux, the first version of Linux I ever got was when I worked at Best Buy, and uh, we had these bargain bins full of CDs, you know, CD-ROMs. This was, uh, uh, you know, the the fall of 94 and spring of 95, uh, and, and CD-ROMs, it was just shovelware everywhere. Anything that was on a CD-ROM, I remember you would buy public domain cartoons, like old Popeye and Woody Woodpecker public domain cartoons, but it was on a CD, so you'd get it, or you would get, you know, a CD full of fonts or a CD full of sound effects or whatever. Anything that was on a CD was, was a novel and kind of neat, you know. And so I bought uh, a four-CD version of Red Hat. And uh, I had a spare machine, and I installed it. And then that's as far as I got. I mean, I just didn't know the commands. I didn't know how to do stuff. Uh, and I'd been using DOS for 10 years at that point, you know. So it was uh, uh, difficult to make that adjustment uh, from from DOS and then from Windows uh, back to Linux. Now, in the late 2000s, I changed jobs for a little while at work, and I took a different position. I started doing a lot of security work. I was doing security audits and pen testing and things like that, and and uh, lots of uh, things with scanning and vulnerabilities that uh, statute of limitations will have to expire on before I can talk about those stories on uh, You Don't Know Flack. But um, uh, a lot of the tools that we needed – uh, we're Linux based, and uh, there's a uh, build of Linux called Backtrack, which I think's built on Fedora. I have to double check that, but uh, um, but you know, so I got Backtrack and installed that on a on a little laptop, and I used to use that, and I, I knew enough to get around, but I definitely would not call myself fluent uh, in Linux. Now, uh, what has caused me to get more uh, familiar with Linux is. Uh, uh, the Raspberry Pis, as you know, the Raspberry Pi um, uh, comes with uh, Raspbian, which is a flavor of Debian, and uh, you know you you boot up and and you get a prompt and that's it. You got to be able to to log in and if you want to change your prompt or change things. And uh, uh, my buddy Jeff and and my buddy uh, Rob, uh, my other buddy Rob, not me, uh, are both uh, guys that deal with Linux and they work uh, a lot in Linux. And so I I hit them up for. Th- you know, baby questions uh, until I was able to, to get around. And of course, you know, I printed out my cheap sheet of uh, uh, Linux commands and things to be able to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's so funny to go from, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, I would say on DOS, I'm probably a nine, you know, nine and a half maybe. Uh, and then to go where you feel like, oh, how do I change directory again? Uh, you know, What's this? Uh, why do I have to type sudo in front of everything to get stuff to work? And, and just learning all that stuff all over again. So it's kind of fun, but I think that stuff's real fun when you're in your teens or your 20s. And when you're 40, it's not so much fun. It's frustrating. You know, all I want to do is be able to copy a file. I don't want to have to learn a whole new set of commands, you know. Um, I did uh, install on one of my laptops for a while uh, Ubuntu. 
which is a uh, flavor of Linux. It's kind of Linux for the masses, I guess, is a good way to explain it. It's it's watered down a little bit. It's a little simpler to – it has a very smooth installation process. Uh, and I got it up and running, and everything worked fine, and I finally reformatted just because I didn't have a, a use for it. You know, and when all – it was like I had to find uh, different versions of everything. Like on my main machine, I have Photoshop, and so – on that, I had to get GIMP, which is a free version of a program that's like Photoshop. But it was just – everything was a little different. So I burned CDs using this program on Windows. I had to get this on, on Linux, you know. And, and so um, I, I – in the, my back pocket, I always think, you know, if Microsoft does something that I don't agree with, like fundamentally, like from a security standpoint or something, that would be the way I'd have to go. I'd have to switch over to Linux. But I remember a long time ago, you know, I'd have all these friends that would say, like, well, Linux is best. You need you need to run Linux. You know, Microsoft is for babies. And I'd say, oh, okay, well, how do you play games? And they'd say, oh, well, I have a, you know, I have a Windows machine for that. <laughs> uh, or, you know, some people, uh, I, I guess they use Wine, which is a Windows emulator uh, for, for Linux. So there are ways to do it. But, um, but the bottom line is that, you know, the software – is uh, and always has been uh, the biggest market is Windows. So if you if you want the biggest software selection, that's that's kind of what you have to go to. Uh, I didn't really get into server operating systems, but uh, yeah, I, I um, used Windows NT four is really when I jumped in, and then uh, you know Server two thousand, two thousand three, uh, two thousand eight, and two thousand twelve. We still have we still use two thousand three and up, uh, at work. Um, I actually, uh, started doing Microsoft tests, uh, when I was, you know, doing desk side support, I wanted to move, uh, you know, down to the server room cause that's where the cool guys were. And that's where the cool toys were. And, uh, you know, it was suggested to me that if I was serious, I should go take some tests. And so I went and took a bunch of the Microsoft certification MCP tests, um, for, uh, NT4 and Windows 2000, I did Windows 2000 client and server and, you know, a few other ones like that. So I, I really got to, to jump in with those operating systems and, and really learn them. And, and, um, we, uh, I don't know. I think now we take advantage of, uh, you know, all the advantage or the increases, I guess, in technology, you know, and, um, sometimes you go back and look at those old operating systems, you know, like looking at, Windows 3.1 and seeing that it comes with five different fonts and, <laughs> uh, you know, just the, the different advances that we have now. Um, I don't know. It, it's come a long way. I uh, Every now and then you'll see these articles of, you know, what would happen if Windows, the new version of Windows, shipped on floppies, you know. And I mentioned uh, Windows 3.1 came on six floppies and then Windows for Workgroups. Uh, came on seven or eight, depending on which one you got. Uh, I think there was an eighth disc that was printer driver, so you really only needed seven, but a lot of people got the eight disc version. Uh, Windows 95, the version I had, came on 13 floppies. Uh, Windows 98 was, uh, I think, the last version you could get that came on floppies, and it was 39 floppy disks. There was a post floating around a few years ago that said if uh, Microsoft were to offer Windows 8, on floppy disks, it would take 3,711 floppy disks. Um, so at that point, it's probably, you probably want to go with the uh, the DVD medium. But that's pretty much it with uh, operating systems. You know, I, um, uh, like I said, uh, uh, for me, 
I don't want to do that much with my operating system. The operating system is what lets me do other things. So the less uh, obtrusive it is and the smoother the the interface and the ability to to move data around and do stuff, especially uh, you know that it's open to to automation. Um, you know the Visual Basic scripting. I used to do a lot with that, um, and now uh, you know doing things with PowerShell and stuff. So uh, pretty powerful stuff built into the operating system. But uh, that that's pretty much where we've come from DOS two all the way up to Windows ten. wraps up another episode of you don't know flack thanks so much for tuning in if you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of you don't know flack you can email me at rob o'hara at rob contact me on twitter at commodork follow the show on facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack that's all one word or leave me voicemail on the you don't know flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF you Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 themed podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thank you.